to me. Uh huh, yeah. Five. Type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to. But we both know I can't do nothing at all. You say there's no use in walking out, and I say there's just one. All right, and welcome back to another, uh, another edition of the Days I Know podcast. Uh, we have uh, MJ. How are you doing, MJ? I'm great. Excellent. And uh, we have Dan with us today. How's it going, Dan? Not too bad. Racking out. Yeah. Did you guys have good weekends? Yeah. I mean, other than the Minnesota United game, yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> you were your watched a lot of soccer. Yeah. Cool. Well. <laughs> Good catch-up banter, guys. That's uh, that's fantastic. You had you had women's Champions League. You had men's Champions League. What what you know? Yes. Lots of soccer on this weekend. Yes. We're gonna talk all about that. So yeah, maybe we just need to jump into the soccer. Um, as always, I mean, my, my grill caught on fire, but I don't don't think anybody's like all that interested in the fact that I almost burned my eyebrows off. Dan, this is important. Days I know news. <laughs> what, how I, I saw. How that are you burying this? Instagram story. So um, looks delicious though. Oh yeah, F- food came out great, but uh, yeah, my temp probe is broken, so I was busy yeah. trying to fix it, and I had it turned on to like the lowest setting, and bent over to look at it, and it perked right up to about 400 degrees. Oh, I, nice. Yeah, felt really good, like I was like touching the tip of my nose, I'm like, shit. But I still have all my body parts, so that's like a good thing. You're hot, Dan. Hot. Yeah, smoking, right. almost literally, which is not good. Excellent. Well, hey, if you haven't already joined our Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash Dave's Unknown, we're actually going to be recording our EPL preview podcast later this week that is going to go uh, up exclusively to Patreon members uh, for the first few weeks. Eventually, we'll get to everybody, but we want to give uh, the Patreons, the patrons some uh, exclusive uh, content, or as I call it, skluzy content. So that's something to look forward to. Um, I know Luke, even Martin, and I are circling the, the drain on uh, recording our victory podcast. And some other cool stuff is in the work. So patreon.com backslash the Daves I know to help support the Daves that you know. Uh, you can also, our Substack newsletter, the Daves I know.substack.com. Again, this is like the fourth week in a row where I say, I'm going to get one out eventually, ideally this week. So I have some ideas and some thoughts. Uh, so yeah, so the Daves I know.substack.com if you're not already uh, subscribed to the newsletter. So let's, um, so I want to talk about this, this morning Kansas City game briefly. I have uh we put together a few questions, um, um, myself and the, and the guys here, to sort of talk about the, the game um, on a, you know, metaphorical, but all, you know, also sort of a, a more existential level. But I want to, you know, just briefly talk through what happened. Um, we came out in a 4-3-3, uh, no Lude. Uh, Lude was on the bench. Uh, he had, was a game-time decision. Uh, came out with the 4-3-3, a, a formation that hasn't necessarily worked all that well for us but for against uh, San Jose, and I think for other particular reasons. And uh, it was an interesting start to the match. Minnesota came out um, and actually played pretty well uh, with their sort of high press. Um, we had a – the first really good opportunity was a in the third minute. Uh, Finley was on goal, um, and Timoli came out and uh, took, him, took out the goal, you know, took out the, the ball and also a little bit of Finley. Um, but then after about 10 minutes, the game totally shifted. 
Um, and the 12th minute, Gadi Kinda uh, scored the first goal for Kansas City. Um, it really was supposed to be a cross to Espinoza. And I think Dotson attempts to clear it. And I'm not sure if Dotson got a little bit of the ball or if Dotson trying to clear it through Greg, through uh, Rajat Singh off. But it skips right past uh, goalkeeper Greg Rajat Singh, who, was in, who obviously was in the nets for um, the injured Tyler Miller. We had a couple more uh, interesting uh, happens. Um, 26 minute, Dotson hits a, almost a banger off of a Chase Gasper uh, flubbed cross. And then in the 32nd minute, Jalen Lindsay, uh, an own goal for Kansas City for Minnesota. Um, there's a really, uh, uh, Molino feeds Finley. Finley has, takes a really hard pass. It sort of skips off of Lindsay's feet and just he just directs it just enough. Um, he was playing way off of Ethan Finley. And, um, and yeah, skips right past Malia. So we went into the halftime with the game tied up 1-1. It, um, Sporting Kansas City seemed to be the better of the two teams for the majority of the half, but Minnesota had played bits and pieces there where they looked actually pretty decent. Uh, we come on the second half, uh, like I said, tied 1-1. Um, Dotson has a really great header um, again, and Malia makes a, a pretty much probably the, the, the best save of the night that he made. He only had to make three, I believe, three saves. There's three shots on goal. Um, he only had to make three saves. One, this is a pretty good, particularly good one. And then less than, you know, 10 minutes later, um, Kansas City gets the game winner vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Michael Box's own goal. I know MJ has some thoughts on this. MJ, why don't you talk to us a little bit about uh, this particularly shitty, shitty play? Molino had several options, and he goes for the most aggressive, smallest passing lane one, which is a square ball um, across to, I believe, Asani Dotson, who he's trying to hit. And it gets picked off, and then whoever picks it off sends Kyrie Shelton um, down the left side. And Michael Boxall is trying to keep an eye looking over his shoulder and is trying to position well for the, for the cross. The problem is, is his, his hips are, are totally wrong positioned. They, they are pointing uh, 90 degrees to the goal, which means if he sticks out any leg or moves his body at all, the ball is going into the net. And that's exactly what happens. And so despite Boxall's, you know, trying to track back correctly and looking over his shoulder and knowing where that backdoor player was, uh, I mean, it just, there was no way for that ball not to go into the net if Boxall touches it. Yeah, he, he, he played it perfectly into his own net, so <clears throat> good for him. <laughs> yeah, bad hips, bad shoulders. <clears throat> I mean, angle-wise, it's just <clears throat> not, yeah. not like me, bad hips, bad shoulders, you know, slow on the broom ball ice. Fair enough. Um, in the 65th minute, there was a, Adrian made uh, his first changes. Uh, Edwards came on for Molino, and uh, Lude came on for Ethan Finley. Uh, and then in the 80s minute, Robin Lude actually runs into a ton of space on the right. He crosses the ball on the ground, so it's actually a pretty decent cross for what Minnesota's trying to do, into the box, and Raheem Edwards just whiffs on it. Amaria, for some fucking reason, when I was, re I was watching some of the highlights, just stops his run for no apparent reason whatsoever. And, uh, you know, he might have had a shot at that ball. That was probably the last opportunity that Minnesota had. Um, in the 82nd minute, Schoenfeld came in for Dotson. Toy came in for Amaria. And then pretty much just saw Kansas City play bunkered in defense and, and just saw the, saw the match out. So we lose 2-1, so our, our home opener, much delayed home opener. Um, so we're still singing. I believe we're in third place now <clears throat> with the Sounders win last night uh, on 11 points through six games, which is not a – you know, it's, it's a pretty decent pace. Um, you know, if that's what we, if that's the kind of the pace that we end up at for the year, we should be sitting pretty well in either second or third. 
Um, but it was a particularly poor game for Minnesota and hard to sort of pinpoint why. Um, let's start with the first, the first question I have. So <clears throat> this is the second game in a row where Minnesota United held more possession than the, their opponents. Minnesota had 58% of possession, <clears throat> excuse me, 29 crosses, only 21% completion rate on those crosses, which is piss poor. And the question I sort of have here, uh, has, have teams figured out the loons, right? Minnesota, the first few games was very much a counter, you know, a high press, a counterattacking team, let the other team have the ball and catch them on the counter. Is this just a, a case of, you know, a couple managers have figured out Minnesota, or, you know, an Oscar Pereja and Peter Vermees? Or do we think this is a, a much uh, larger issue and a much bigger problem? And Dan, let's start with you. Yeah, I think if, if MLS as a whole hasn't figured out the loons, then they need to hire the three of us. Because it was after the RSL game in the bubble that we had this exact conversation, which is the book on beating the loons was to make them be creative. Don't break your shape at the back. Don't extend yourself too much going forward. Make the loons, make cool, interesting moves unexpected runs, great crosses, etc. Um, RSL did it, bunkered to a draw. Uh, Orlando did it. Uh, they didn't bunker so much as they relied on, on Nani's star power. Kansas City did it, and they relied on United beating themselves. And, and that's seven points out of those three games that the teams that forced United to be creative took. Um, the reason I'll, I'll give Peter Vermees a little bit of of a nod here is every time Roman Metnair touched the ball. And I mean, every time as if he was past half, you could hear Vermees on the field, Mike screaming, no cross, no cross. And that to me says Metin, like they at least have a book on Metnair and they have a book on the Minnesota United offense. You look at the heat map, uh, Minnesota United didn't have touches in the attacking third, except over on that right side. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, it, it's hard to blame the team for being reliant on Roman Metnair. He's a great crosser of the ball. He's good at getting to the byline. He and Finley interchange well, all the stuff you'd want to see in an attack, but it's so predictable. And so Kansas City selling out to block that cross for all but one moment, and that was Lude's cross in 90 minutes, I mean, they showed it can work. And if Minnesota United doesn't figure out how to change up their attack, and I don't mean just do the exact same thing, but on the left with Chase Gasper, but like <laughs> actually attack through the middle, get some interchange in between Amaria and Molino or Reynoso, we'll touch on that later, like this team is just going to get easier and easier and easier to beat. They have good interplay and that's awesome to see but they lack the singular player who can pull a team out of this shape and I think we really saw that against Kansas City yeah so um, we'll talk about Babelo in a, in a little bit I think this you know he could be the you know he might be the key <clears throat> but it's gonna require a lot of a lot of uh, uh, quickly gelling with his teammates uh, one th point on Metnir and then MJ I'll let you if chime in if you want um, he had eight crosses in the box zero per zero were completed that's how that's how uh, adamant they were on, on not giving Metnir good looks into the box and said, yeah, other than that Robin Lude cross, which got through five, four defenders on Kansas City, also two uh, Minnesota United players. So um, not, not a great, not a great look. MJ, do you have anything else you wanted to add on, on this? Well, we went with the 4-3-3. Uh, uh, the person that you expect to make that triangle or to do something a little bit more creative on the right than Metnir and Finley is Jan Gregush. And he usually is 
pretty good at creating triangles and and short passes with them. You didn't see a lot of Gregush over there. And sometimes you saw him completely on the left. And I didn't know if he switched him over to the left at one point, but like yeah, you, you saw him not- roaming around and I, I guess that's, that's good. We want to have some fluidity, but when Gregush wasn't over there helping Metner and Finley, that kind of takes the creative piece on our right side away. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Good point on Gregush. He was just not, I, I don't even remember, um, Cal calling his name at all during that match. So it's uh, not great. Uh, so my second question is, uh, is this, which is the real Amaria? Um, is it the guy <clears throat> that scored twice in the uh, first two matches? Or is it the guy that we've seen over the course of the last um, month and a half? Um, do we have a striker problem? So one sort of fun fact here, this I believe was from E Pluribus Lunum. I believe it was from the E Pluribus Lunum guys. In two years, we've scored 37 goals in 24 matches. Only 13 of those goals, so less than a third of those goals, uh, or about a third of those goals, have been by strikers. And only two of the strikers that have scored those goals are currently on the roster. That's Amaria with three goals and Mason Toy with five. So is it an Amaria problem? Um, you know, which is the real Amaria? And, and, you know, I think the answer that we have a striker problem is yes. And how can we, you know, how the hell can we fix a striker problem? We have a striker whisperer theoretically, uh, on the, uh, on the touchline. So who wants to take a stab at that one first? MJ? Having Heath as a striker whisperer is great, but you have to get your striker the ball. And we did not do that this game. And we struggled to, as Dan has pointed out, play through the middle or get the ball in centrally deadly areas. You know, attacking from the flanks is great, but you need to also – have that attack from the flanks open up passing lanes and open up shooting lanes in the middle. And we, Emory is great at running, making very good deceptive runs off the ball. And oftentimes, whether it's Gasper, Dotson, whoever, uh, Molino, they have their head down. They're not seeing that he's wide open and available or they're cl- the, our opponents are clustering the middle so much that we're not using our flanks to draw them out and, and open things up for Amaria or Toy. So I would say we don't have a striker problem. We have a service to a striker problem. I think that's a good point. I mean, the days of like truly route one soccer, you know, goalkeeper to midfielder to striker to goal are pretty well behind us, unless you're playing like West Bromwich Albion or something like that. Um, or, or Adrian Heath's ideal form of soccer comes back into vogue. Right. But I, you know who you're talking about, man. <laughs> um, this is, for those of you who have not watched uh, 1980s Everton videos the way MJ has, this is truly how Adrian Heath scored the majority of his goals. <laughs> and this is how English soccer just was for about 30 years. That has, that has faded. And we don't so much have one player who is tasked with scoring goals we have a system where, yep, your wingers are going to have to put a few in. Your strikers are going to probably do the majority of the work, but not necessarily your number 10 is going to going to be an attacking threat. So MJ's point is certainly well taken, that this is a whole attack problem. But I do think that we do have a striker problem. Um, Minnesota United consistently asks its strikers to pull a little bit into the midfield uh, to act as an outlet valve uh, on defensive pressure. Uh, this is allegedly what Angelo Rodriguez was super good at. He was not. Uh, but uh, Amaria is better. He acts really effectively as that valve. Where the issue comes is once United has the ball 
around the halfway line, teams don't feel the need to stop ball. Uh, whether it's Molino or Dotson or Gregoosh bringing the ball up, they're pretty well content to get back into uh, a bank of four and a bank of three, two banks of four, how, whatever it is. They are perfectly willing to set up in their defensive block low and assume that Minnesota United won't put a through ball in and can't cross over the top of them. And so far that has been the case. And so to me, this really does come down to someone like Amaria following the plan a little too closely. And this is, I understand, perhaps persnickety criticism, but if there is a player in the attack who needs to just change things up, who needs to say, this is not working, I got to do something different, it's the striker. It's the focal point. Um, You know, I'd love to see someone like Molino doing that work. He hasn't. He's not going to. That's not his style. Um, You know, maybe this is the time where we wish we had a DP like Nani or Carlos Vela or somebody who – you know, uh, in the words of uh, Dessa, fuck the plan, man, I'm trying to call an audible, um, who can just sort of cut through a defense because he knows what he's doing and they don't. Minnesota United doesn't have that player, and I wanted it to be Amaria. Uh, you know, we'll talk about the dangers of scouting the highlights when we get to the Reynoso segment, but it's true with Amaria, too. If you watch his highlights, he does make those good second post runs. He does weird stuff. It looks like he was going to try to open up the offense a little bit. I think what we've seen in the game to game is he's capable of those moments in isolation, but that's not him as a player. Um, and United needs, needs someone who's going to buck the plan, who's going to be hard to cover as an individual. And they just don't have that person right now. So if you bring in a better piece around him, somebody functional on the left wing, for example, or uh, a really creative, amazing 10. Yeah. Maybe the striker problem goes away magically, magically in air quotes, but I think it's easier to change out strikers than it is to change out almost any other position at this point. That's fair. All right. Um, And then so to the last sort of point, and this is, this is Dan, this is um, your sort of, Statement question, um, you know, and, and I sort of alluded to it. Um, this is the first time Minnesota United has looked like a good team playing badly and not an okay team playing above the grade. Why don't you um, expound a little bit more on that for us and, and, and talk us through that? Yeah, so one of the interesting things to me is there were huge stretches, particularly in the first half, where United looked good. They looked aggressive. Uh, right out of the gate, they were high-pressing, which you alluded to. You had Finley's chance, which went begging. Um, they got a bunch of corners. They got uh, – they beat Kansas city on corners eight to three. Um, and given that this team wants to score off set pieces, that's a pretty good sign for, uh, for them potentially winning the game. I just felt like particularly in the second half, we didn't see anything from Kansas city that said that they were really both interested and capable of going on to win the game. If Minnesota United hadn't uh, gifted them the second goal, it's pretty fair to wonder how many real chances they would have had because, um, and we'll get to this in the Friday Adu section, Alan Polito did not play well, and neither did Gadi Kinda, uh, mistake goal aside. So it was really interesting to see United playing, being uh, the team that was dictating how the game went badly. Um, and so maybe it really is just a, hey, it's really, it's easy to see a team dominating when they have dominant levels of possession. Uh, versus Minnesota bunkering their way and counterattacking their way to two goals, which is sort of their preference. Um, 
but it was just, it really struck me that this is a team that has some cohesion that now sort of knows each other and trusts each other in a way that we didn't see for large stretches of last year. It was just hard to see it through the absolute morass of misplaced passes and tired legs. Yeah, that's a, those are really great points. It, it is, it was frustrating. I mean, I think that's the, that was my kind of big takeaway from watching the game on Friday um, and then rewatching bits and pieces. I was just, I was kind of, well, I didn't watch the entire game. I was watch, I watched chunks where I knew something was happening. It was, it was, it wasn't so much upsetting as it was just frustrating to watch this team because the team looked like they should have been much, much better. Um, again, a few defensive lapses and, you know, uh, Casey capitalized on seemingly both of the, <clears throat> of the two ma- major fuck-ups that we had, which is very reminiscent of Minnesota in 2017-2018 defense where you'd make like two mistakes and of course the team would score on both of the mistakes, um, which, you know, I think when you don't have like a par in there is he can't recover for you, right? And um, we'll talk about Boxall and Aha in a little bit here, but they also did not cover themselves in a ton of glory in this game, um, that own goal aside. You know, we, we certainly looked, I think, like the better team for, you know, as you as you said, Dan, large majorities of that game. We just need we just need to figure out Adrian Heath, and this is this is comes back to my my main criticism with Adrian Heath has consistently always been that he does not know how to adapt his game plan mid game, right? If he if what he's trying to do is not working, we're fucked because you know if the other team has found, has found us out and we can't you know we can't bring a different dynamic at halftime or in the 65th minute, or when we bring on the subs, you change the formation. Hadrian Heath just cannot do that for whatever fucking reason. And that is the most frustrating, I think, thing I think about Adrian Heath's uh, tenure. I mean, there's been a lot of frustrating things. So I think that to me, it, it wasn't so, it wasn't so evident in the first two years because we were just so fucking bad. But last year, and then this year, we've just seen when, when we've been found out and when the other team has a great game plan for what we try, are trying to do generally, Heath has no, uh, no options, no, no backup plans, no um, fixes for what's going on. So that has been my frustration. MJ? I'm going to call out assistant coach Ian Fuller and last year's defensive coach Mark Watson, this year's defensive coach Sean McCauley. One of those guys has to be the Heath whisperer and, and compensate for this. You know, if it's all on Heath and Heath's the one that's not – seeing how to fix this one of those two needs to help yeah i think that's a a good point uh but i want to double back to something david said which is uh that there's there's sort of no plan b i think that was perfectly illustrated in this game because ostensibly one of the things a head coach can do to change things up is sub people on and that's been a criticism we've made of heath in the past but he used five subs in this game now you can argue maybe toy should have been on earlier that's and, and I'll quarter that criticism. I think he should have been. But he used all five, and nothing changed. You subbed Finley for Lude over on the right, and that should be a pretty big difference because they're vastly different players. Nothing changed. You pulled out Kevin Molino. Honestly, maybe the attack should have gotten worse, and it didn't, and so we should be thankful. But <laughs> with five new players, half your outfield players having been changed four. out. They only make four. Okay. So, so points is, your point's the same. 40, 40% of your outfield players having changed over, you should see some type of different something. But yeah. there was no difference. The subs made absolutely no dent. And I think I'm, I'm totally willing to go, you know, 20 more minutes, just absolutely 
ragging on Minnesota United for not playing well in this game because they didn't. We do have to give some credit to Kansas City, who came in with a strong defensive mindset and played it to perfection. Um, you know, the Dotson's two chances were really the only saves that Melia had to make and the only ones of any cut. Co- any challenge or consequence and the, the so, Finley game too, but yeah, other, yeah. Other than that, it was it was just he was he didn't have to do much work out there for, so, for, for a team that took 12 shots to Kansas City's eight he didn't have to do much work at all so no but I think that really speaks to Kansas City's defensive shape and they I, I, I'll liken it a little bit to the United game against Columbus where Columbus clearly was frustrated and they needed to try something different and they just couldn't get it done that was Kansas City uh, and we unfortunately played the role of Columbus in this one yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's wrap this game up with our Freddie Adus. Uh, let's start with Minnesota. Um, Dan and MJ, you have the same uh, star of the game. So why don't you guys? Uh, what's Dan? Why don't you go first? Yeah. Uh, so MJ and I both took Asani Dotson. Uh, Dotson once again showing some positional versatility, uh, playing in in the deeper bank of three in the four three three. Got into some interesting positions, made solid passing, uh, but I highlighted him uh, for his two really good attempts, uh, particularly uh, the shot. The, the header was, was good, don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, so much of what we've talked about to this point in the podcast has been United's inability to do things that are unexpected and that the defense isn't prepared for. Hassani Dotson taking two touches and then banging it from outside the box absolutely constitutes or counts as, as one of those things. So if the, if United can get him into the offense more and doing that, I think that's only a good thing. Yeah. Um, I had Ethan Finley for my, uh, for you do star of the game for Minnesota. Um, you know, obviously he had that, he he looked, you know, of the attacking players, he was the only one who actually looked like he was trying uh, at least for the first, for the 65 minutes or so that he was on the, that he was on the pitch. Um, said he had that almost, you know, that great opportunity in the third minute. He had a couple other opportunities. He's the one who created the the pass that created the uh, the goal for Minnesota. So I have to give it to Ethan Finley, but I can easily see Dobson. Um, he played a hell of a game, um, all things considered. Uh, let's do our Freddie Dews for shittiest players of the game. MJ, why don't you uh, go off on the Kiwi? So on the first goal, it looked like Minnesota United were in a man-marking system, except AHA doesn't have a man. So he's doubling on the ball, but he's not doubling on the ball in any effect with any sort of good effect. He's just kind of in no man's land. And what AHA should have done, or what Michael Boxall should have done, or what Ozzy should have done, is to tell AHA to take Boxall's guy and for Boxall to slide over and give Hassani Dotson some help on the weak side. Basically, Gasper and Hassani were both marking players that were so far up the pitch that when Espinoza starts running in, Hassani's tracking back and not fast enough. And no way should Roger Espinoza beat Hassani Dotson to to any point. But the you can't leave the kids on the weak side defending. That's just bad. Um, even if you're in a man-marking system, you have to have some awareness of like, oh, the way the man-marking system is now, we have two kids over on the left-hand side. We probably should be spying and doubling up on, on that side rather than ball watching. And so you have that, and then you have my rant that I gave on on his hips uh, and being angled towards the net when when he shouldn't have on the second goal. So Boxall gets my shittiest player of the game. Dan? Uh, I want to take Kevin Molino. Uh, we saw a lot of the good of Kevin Molino down in Orlando. Uh, this was the bad. Um, you know, Minnesota kept trying to run the offense through him 
and he just was not he was not moving with the ball effectively. He wasn't getting into particularly interesting positions without the ball. Uh, those two things alone would earn you the Shitty Freddy Adu Award. But uh, the fact that he then just completely gave the ball away, leading to the uh, the own goal, is what sealed him for me. Yep, I had Molino as well. So good job, guys. We, were, we kept it pretty condensed there. And then uh, let's talk about Sporting Kansas City. Uh, the next Freddy Adu for the Sporting Kansas City best player. <clears throat> I, w- I went with uh, Jean-Luc Abusio. Um, he was all over the place. He didn't, he didn't end up on the score sheet in any way, but he, con- compared to the attackers of, of Sporting Kansas City, which um, we're going to, Dan's going to definitely talk about in terms of their shitty play. Busio played really well, bossed the midfield, and, uh, you know, controlled the, the, the game for Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Dan? Yeah, so I'm going to touch on Busio really quick since you teed it up. We talked about it on the last podcast being a little bit anonymous in attack. And this was the first game he had played in, in a almost defensive midfielder or metronomic six role. And he was really good in it. So I think it's really interesting to see a player who is not showing well as an attacker really start to find a home. He's a little bit uh, kind of the reverse of Sonny Dotson in that role. So it'll be interesting to see if that's his role going forward or if Kansas City just turns around and sells him to Juventus uh, because uh, Andrea Pirlo is definitely interested in a player of that caliber in that type of a position. Yeah. Uh, but the player that I want to highlight is Johnny Russell, speaking of players who thrived once they moved. Uh, Russell, as the focal striker last year, was ineffective, couldn't lead the offense, just kind of mediocre. Against Minnesota United, uh, he was playing out on the left and just absolutely, I'm sorry, played on the right because uh, he annoyed the hell out of Chase Gasper all game. Uh, just absolutely, not so much in his pocket as in his ear. Uh, but then in a few times he did get the ball, um, he was good. He was He kept it well, uh, which was clearly part of their plan. They weren't committing a ton of bodies into attack. Uh, I, I definitely agree with MJ that the own goal is on Boxall and it is it wasn't particularly great by Johnny Russell. But hey, buy a ticket, spin the wheel, sometimes you win a prize. Russell put in a ball that Boxy needed to deal with and he dealt with it poorly. So he's the guy I'll highlight for for having played particularly well in a game where Kansas City's attack was strange to say the least. Yeah. MJ, why don't you give us your good and bad? Because um, I, I mean to have the same bad one as well. So why don't you give us your good and bad? So. Compared to the last time we played Sporting Kansas City, Vermees made three key player switches, all on the middle of the defense. Out goes B- former Barcelona player Ilya Sanchez at the six, and in comes Busio, as Dan has already alluded to. And the two center defenders, uh, Roberto Prunchek and Beisler, are out. In comes the, the youth. And so I'm going to pick on the youth or Harold the youth. Winston Reed looked really good. Uh, he was marking Amaria. He was marking uh, uh, Bellino and and Finley. And he did a really good job in, in the middle at left center back. Uh, Graham Smith, it's tough when they played such good defensive shape, but Graham Smith was, was the weaker of, of the two. So there's my Freddie Adu's right there. Winston Reed gets the best player of the game and – Graham Smith gets the shittiest play of the game. Right on. <clears throat> but he did look better than Beasler. <laughs> yeah. Low bar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, uh, Dan, you've kind of already alluded to Polito. So why don't you talk, talk a little bit more about Polito? Um, he was also my shittiest player of the game, too. Yeah. So, you know, again, alluding to last week's podcast, and I think we're getting paid for the alluded at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Alan Polito was the focal point of the Kansas City attack. He is a singular talent. He's not a guy that needs service necessarily. He's entirely capable of picking up the ball in the midfield and taking it into a dangerous position in the attack. And we saw none of that. Uh, Polito's biggest contribution of the game was a yellow card in the middle of the second half. Uh, and there was a moment shortly thereafter where he fell it wasn't a total dive, but uh, he did not get a foul called and handled the ball and theoretically should have been sent off. Like, I'm not calling as a blown call and change the game or anything like that. But, you know, a stricter referee may have sent him off for that. So we can sure. dream. But he just – he was anonymous in a way that throughout both the, the pre-game or the pre-bubble games and in the bubble, he was this absolute, like, figurehead for Kansas City. So I was really surprised to see him – not really getting into some interesting positions, not doing much with the ball at his feet. Um, I think pretty safe to say this was his worst game for sporting. And what I don't have a great sense of was how much United's defense deserves credit for this. So David, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah. um, You know, I think what we talked about in the podcast last week was having, you know, Ozzy really sort of, Shadow, Polito, or Dotson, or, or, the, or a combination therein to take those guys out. And I think that's a little bit of what happened. I think there just wasn't – he just wasn't able to find the space that he normally gets. And whether, I don't – you know, again, looking back at the match, I'm not sure if that is because of the game plan of Dotson and and <clears throat> Ozzy sort of switching him off, you know, back off, off and on, depending on where he was on the pitch. <clears throat> um, again, I don't think Boxo or Aha did anything particularly uh, great there. I think it was – a little bit of probably more of the that four three three that you know the Dotson uh, said not Dotson Ozzy sort of helping take take him out of the pitch and then just him not having a super great game. I mean I think you know strikers have we've seen it several times on our team. Strikers sometimes just can't find the rhythm of the game and they're just not not uh not not with it. And you know luckily Sporting Kansas City did not need him to be on on his game to get to get the win. So all right. Well, let's uh, let's jump into other United news. We have a we have a couple of uh, couple of notes here, a couple of questions, and then we'll spend some time on Bebelol. So the first thing, um, obviously, we talked about Dane St. Clair getting uh, recalled from San Antonio last week. We speculated a little bit. Turns out Tyler Miller uh, had hip surgery, uh, successful hip surgery, but he's out for the rest of the year. Um, Dane brought up um, ten day quarantine, uh, so he should be available this weekend. Whether or not he gets the start, I sincerely doubt it. I think uh, Rajat Singh will probably get the start again. But he, he will be available as, as the sort of an option on the bench <clears throat> or an opportunity to start. Dane has played really well um, in the USL, in the League One and USL Championship matches that he's played in in the last two years. So who the hell knows? No word yet on uh, Dubasi if he's been here yet. Um, you know, there's like, again, they have to get through that 10-day quarantine period. I'm not sure what the holdup on Debasi is. Maybe it's a, a visa or something like that. And we'll talk a little bit about that with Babylon and why maybe he's got a visa already. I guess is that because they've been working on that since fucking January. So they probably have all the paperwork ready to, ready to go. Tabasi has traveled. Uh, we did see that yes. in his Instagram story. So okay. he's, um, maybe he's not quite in the U.S. yet or not quite in Minnesota, but he's on his way. All right. Sounds good. So he probably won't be available until, uh, you know, at the earliest would be next weekend, uh, but probably not till the third or fourth game of the of the phase one here. So what's I have two quick questions. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of time on them, but Hot Clouds asks, what's the plan for Chacon moving forward? 
probably more important question, what would you like to see moving forward? And then what do we think will actually happen? So the first, first part of that question um, is that who the fuck knows what the plan for Chacon is moving forward? That's up to the front office in Minnesota. Now, what would you guys like to see with Chacon moving forward? You know, at this point, you've got to loan him. He's not gotten playing time for a year at this point. He's, we saw him, you know, very, very briefly in Orlando, and he looked like a player who hasn't played in a year. So this is where I think it really hurts not to have a USL affiliate to go down because he's a very exciting player. Any USL team would love to have him. I shouldn't say any. Most USL teams would love to have him, you know. It gives the fans something to cheer for, something to get excited about. He's got that floppy hair. Um, problem is, like, they need an international spot, though, you know. Yeah. That's, that's the problem with we're trying to loan him out, you know. No, it's true. But from a Minnesota United standpoint, I mean, there's – they can't they're, – they're clearly not going to, but also probably can't blood him in on the field if they, they think they're going to compete for a playoff spot or particularly to host a home playoff game. So – if it, I think you've got to loan him. And if it means getting him down to USL one or whatever, just find a place for him to get minutes, ideally with a coach you can trust, but honestly minutes are more important than that. Even at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure what the, <clears throat> what the any sort of language barrier is for him. If he's, if he's learned English or whatnot. So you, I mean, there, the problem, the problem with trying to loan him out is that for those particular reasons, right. You need a, you need a, a team, that is an international spot available and willing to willing to use it. You, ideally, you need a team who's willing to just give him minutes, right? You just don't want to send him down just to send him down. So you can't you can't really send him down to just any team. You kind of need a commitment from the team to give him minutes. And without having an actual affiliate or without having an agreement in place, you don't you don't get that guarantee. And then third, you know, the of the obviously the cultural and language. I mean, obviously he's you know he spent a lot of time up here. Hopefully he's um, you know grown accustomed and and got a little bit better. But the kid's still. 19 right he's still a young young kid and i think the problem is that you loan him out you don't necessarily you can't control that environment as much right he's here you can control that environment a little bit more you have people who can speak uh spanish um who can who have, you know he, who, who he knows are those people going to go with him if he gets loaned out um so i think that there's a lot of other contributing factors i would like to see him just get some fucking playing time um ideally it's up here ideally uh, it, it's with this team, but I just don't think that is in the cards for Minnesota. And I just, I don't understand. I just don't understand any other logic behind what they've done with Thomas Chacon. So MJ. A lot of what you guys say makes sense. Uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge all the Chaconistas out there that are huge Thomas Chacon fans. And I would say that he has a high ceiling. And, and so I understand your excitement about him. I, he also has youth and speed and, and, can think outside the box because maybe he hasn't been overly coached. And so there's a lot of positive upsides to him. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is when it comes not to just what Heath wants, but with just actual play on the pitch, no offense, but Raheem Edwards and even Robin Lud are better fits on the left-hand side for Minnesota United. And although he played uh, for his youth club at the number 10, in order for Heath to trust him in center attacking midfield, he would need to get more minutes and we don't have an affiliate. So just to sound like a broken record and hit on points that you guys already said, we need him to get minutes, you know, wherever, at whatever position that we want him to play, we need him to get minutes and time on the ball and time against um, American uh, team types of defenses. 
Hmm. The other thing, the other thing I'll add is even when he's not getting minutes, we need him in the weight room. I mean, we saw him getting bossed off the ball when he was playing. He's a, he's a slight guy. That's always going to be a knock on him is that he's fairly easy to bully off the ball, but he can't hold his own. And I'm, I'm, I, I disagree. I disagree with that statement. He, I don't think, I think he gets, he gets that knock because he's, he's small, but even when he played in that, in that, the 45 minutes he got in Orlando, um, I mean, he got a red card for knocking a guy off a ball or it's not a red card, yellow card for knocking a guy off the, off a ball. I don't, I think, I think we, that's what we want to see because he's so slight because he's, but you know, you don't have that same issue with Messi and he's, I think him and uh, Chacon and Messi are about the same size. I, I think, I think that is a thing that people think about him because he is so small. I, and I, maybe, and maybe it's because we, I've only, we've only seen him for what, 45 minutes this year. And we saw him for what, all of a hundred minutes last year that maybe we have, you know, these, notions about maybe a tour one one particular tackle or one particular uh movement where he got i just don't i don't think he is i don't think he's as fragile as people are trying to make him out to be okay so one Messi's a drug cheat this is known <laughs> no he is i won't get into it somewhat privileged Messi, information but Messi, no Messi, Messi is a drug Messi is a drug cheat Messi um, growth, human growth hormone growing up so i'm i'm with you did you so did i yeah. <laughs> i actually didn't know that you did too yeah. um that's funny. Uh, no, I mean, but we have seen Chacon get bullied off the ball. We've seen him get you know, absolutely tossed around. So, uh, yes, part of it is he's a small guy. That's always going to be a knock on him. Part of it is we've literally seen players knock him off the ball. Uh, Every, everybody gets knocked off the ball. I don't think it's as bad as, as people are making it out to be. Let's just... I, I think it could be coped with. I think if his balance were better, he wouldn't get knocked off so easily or the fouls would be called. Or aware of when attack's coming and use the speed to know where your space is. Yeah, I mean, that's also true. So, so it comes with getting time on the field. Yeah, well, but he should be figuring that out in practice, too. So there are things that he can do to make himself more likely to get playing time. Um, but let me ask a part B to this question. So let's say uh, a, a team in Mexico or Central America approached Minnesota United asking for Chacon on loan. It doesn't solve every problem, but is that something that you guys would be willing to entertain? I think that's I think that is the more the more likely scenario. Honestly, I don't think it's, I don't think he gets um, playing time in the U.S. I think it's yeah, it's either some it's either you know um, a loan to a team you know maybe a Serie B team in Brazil or Mexican team or Costa Rican. I think it's an, it's a team in, in not this country, unfortunately. And I think that might that actually might be the best case for him. Especially Mexico, because Mexico's trying to play younger players. Obviously, he's not Mexican, so there's a little that's a drawback there. Um, they're trying to bleed in Mexican youngsters, but they're much more likely to play a younger a younger player. Um, so I think that's actually probably uh, the more the more likely scenario. Um, all right, so we have one other quick uh, question, uh, and then we'll jump into our 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 uh, Babylo discussion. So can we have a clever, so Josh E. asks, can we have a clever nickname for Rajit Singh? Because it's a mouthful. Is he normally a better distributor? Um, he says he'd like to save, so he's hopeful otherwise. Uh, MJ, what, uh, what do you got on this? So first of all, Josh E., I'm going to give you credit because you're another Northeast Minneapolis guy, that what you meant to say is not that it's a mouthful, but there's a lot of characters to type on Twitter. And it's frustrating when you want to type about a goalkeeper and he has a long name. Um, 
but Rajat Singh is one, not hard to pronounce once you hear it. And two, it's three syllables. It's the same as Molino. So, um, good point. So Rajat Singh is not a mouthful. Being of, you know, African-Caribbean descent and having a name that you don't see every day, sure, that can be kind of challenging when you first realize it. But just move beyond that and say Rajat Singh, pronounce it out. It's not hard. It's not even have, it doesn't even have emphasis on the latter two syllables like some French or, uh, you know, other cultural name that would yeah. confuse an Anglo. So, so uh, I want to throw one thing out here. I just, I was looking it up. Uh, so Ranjit Singh, if you just break it up. So Ranjit Singh is, uh, uh, means according to dictionary.com line of the Punjab. Um, so I think we should call him the cat, Greg, the cat, Rajat Singh. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great nickname for a goalie, you know, Julie, the cat Gaffney from uh, Mighty Ducks. Um, lions or cats. Um, yeah, I think, I think the cat, I think we should call him the cat. Any takers or, or am I just totally being totally offensive? I should probably talk to Notch and see if I'm being totally offensive there. <laughs> Regular cat's fine. I'm just saying Rajat Singh is not a mouthful. That's fair. That's fair. Um, uh, but the, the point of, uh, being a pain on Twitter is, a uh, is valid MJ, uh, Arsenal fans had this with Jeff Remy Adelaide, uh, who was uh, one of their academy players. So we just shortened it to Jeff, all caps, with an exclamation point if you had the characters. So I'm, I'm totally here for just Greg, yes. uh, which, which I will point out was suggested on this very podcast when we signed him, I believe, in February. <laughs> I like Greg the Cat. I must have called him Greg the Cat. Um, and then to, to the question about him being a better – is he normally a better distributor – I don't know. There is a, a gentleman in, a, in one of the slacks that, uh, that we're all in, um, who, John McCullough, who is a, a Louisville uh, native, or, or formerly of Louisville, who watched a lot of Greg Regent Singh when he played there from 2017 to 2018. So he would be a better, a better question. So we'll ask him and, and maybe we'll get back to you uh, in the next podcast. So, all right, let's talk about it, guys. Uh, it's, it's happening. It's the Reynoso watch is almost over we can't it's not fully over until the medicals are done and, and the deal is, is finalized but uh we got our man babelo after that this has got to be what over eight months of of rumors and speculations and um mark fangmeyer going into really weird instagram deep drives onto people's uh um like sisters like R relatives instagram relatives, instagram like stories and all that we we finally got him we got him guys we got him so what do we think about uh, uh, Bebelo, uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, um, nickname is Bebelo. Uh, he is a, um, firmly of uh, Boca Juniors. Um, yeah, what do we think? Yeah. I mean, it's exciting just to get the deal done, right? Like uh, the first time I heard about this uh, was Valentine's Day. So I, I have that pretty well uh, established in my mind because uh, I was in a cooking class and I saw a tweet from Jeff Carlisle. The Minnesota United are pursuing a DP. It's like, oh, sweet. This is great. Uh, I was also getting yelled at on Twitter because Dwayne Wade did something stupid in the contest. <laughs> uh, so lots, just lots of memories from that night. Uh, no, other I mean. None of them involve his gorgeous wife, by the way, F FYI. So. <laughs> Not the, no, the only, the only Twitter I've, interaction I've had involving Dwayne Wade's wife was apparently, and I didn't know this, Gabriella Union is his second wife. 
And there was a woman from Chicago on Twitter who for like a week straight just ripped into me. Just absolutely the most, like some of the most hurtful things I've ever seen said about anyone was being said about me because of something Dwayne Wade did to his wife, his first wife. And it turns out none of it was true. So I have no, I have no idea what she was on about. I, but, I, was, uh, I was actually referencing your your wife, but um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, neither here nor there. Anyways, shout out to Gretchen. Um, we love you, Gretchen. He's a, yes, he's a DP. Um, he's a, a t- essentially a, a central mid slash left winger um, slash you know left midfielder. He is. You know he's he's a he's a known commodity, right? He's got six goals and I believe sixty eight games, so he's not he's not been a prolific scorer per se. But before that, he was he was a, a pretty a pretty good scorer and a creative attacking player. So what do we have to say about about Reynoso as a as a player? We have never had a ten, uh, like a true number. 10. We never had a Kaka. You know, we've never had a true playmaker in that way. In a in a four two three one system that Heath wants to play. We have never had that central attacking midfielder to distribute to the wings and to the striker and be creative. Molino's not a, Molino's a right wing. He played right wing for Orlando city when Heath was down there. Heath knows he's a right wing. Um, And so we've tried to shoot one. Lod looks, looks better at, at the 10 than on left wing, but that's not saying much. You know, we don't, we don't really have someone like this. So Will he start immediately? I hope so. Um, he hasn't played in, you know, six months. So, yeah, his playing time with Boca definitely, uh, definitely got limited. I'll be really interested to see where where Heath plays him. I'm, I mean, I think the the vibe on him being a, a central attacking midfielder comes from the fact that he was a literal number ten, like that was his number at Boca. Uh, by appearance, though, he was far more commonly on the left wing which makes him something like the 800th left wing that Minnesota United have had since its inception in 2017. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see if the loons do push him centrally or if they stick him out on the left and, and let Molino stay centrally a little bit. Um, the vibe, uh, I, spent, uh, I spent part of the weekend translating fan tweets from Boca fans. A um, lot of slander, hateful people. Uh, <laughs> but the, the vibe was that part of the reason that the team was willing to let him go was that he had not quite fulfilled his promise uh, and particularly had not gelled in the attack. Um, now, the, the figurehead of Boca's attack, the, the central figure, is Carlos Tevez, who is not a spring chicken at this point. Pebello is a pretty decently quick player, so it, it doesn't totally surprise me that those two didn't quite get on the same page. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if that if, if we see that again with Minnesota United or if it really was kind of a, an older player, younger player breakdown. And I could definitely see it both ways. He's extremely technical. Uh, you can see it. And I prefaced this earlier. Um, sc- scouting the highlights is a terrible way to get a knowledgeable player. I mean, if you, if you believe the highlights, then uh, Bebelo uh, is going to be a, he's going to score a million free kick goals. Uh, just, Absolute. He's a, he's a good set piece taker, but if, to see the highlights tell it, you'd think it was all he did. Um, but from what you can see, yep, he's a, he's a decent free kick taker. So it'll be interesting to see between him and Greg who gets that ball on any given free. Um, he is highly technical. He's got very good close control, uh, moves the ball, moves very well with the ball, moves the ball with him, doesn't tend to leave it behind him a lot. Um, 
he's not a shoot first attacker from what I've seen. He definitely is, is capable of it, but we'll look for a pass. So in that sense, I'm a little nervous. Um, it's yet another player on the attack who is perhaps passive more than aggressive, uh, but we'll see. I, 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 think the, I think a lot of this depends on who Heath's ideal starting lineup is, and I would be interested to hear from you guys who you think the starting four up top is going to be, assuming that they, we're in a 4-2-3-1. I know who I would like it to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah, go for it. I, I, I would like to, to have, have fin, Finley start on the right, um, Reynoso or Dotson at the center at the, at the 10, and the other one on the left wing. Like, I want to see Dotson get more playing time. I want Dotson to start. So um, I would like to see Dotson either on, on, on the left wing or, or at the center attacking midfield spot and Amory up top, just to see how it goes. That would be what I would like to try once Reynoso's game fit. Yeah, that's um, you know I like that actually because then you can bring in Molino and Toy and you know the say the sixty fifth, sixty sixth minute if it's not going well and you can you know those guys have a have some chemistry. Um, I kind of you know I, I could also see Molino you know starting on the on you know the left as well. Um, I just I really hope Lude's not out there, but knowing how Adrian Heath likes to you know play the certain particular players. Um, I I could easily see I could easily see it if Amory up top with uh, Lude Reynoso and uh, either Finley or Miller or sorry, Finley or Molino um, across the across the midfield behind behind the one so uh, yeah so the, actually that brings us to a good question um, Eric Grady uh, asks after the ten day quarantine when could when would could Bebelo start realistically so. If, if his 10 day quarantine started on yesterday when he got into, like when he saw those pictures of him in the Minneapolis St. Paul international airport, he theoretically would be available for our match on the second down in Houston against the Houston dynamo. Um, could you, could we see him on the pitch? Possibly, probably not. I think the more realistic um, expectation would be the Sunday, the, the following Sunday, the sixth Minnesota hosts RSL. I would more I would more likely see him coming on as maybe a, a you know later a later sub maybe a 65th 70th minute sub with I think the expectation that he probably starts his first match uh, the following uh, Wednesday um, against FC Dallas um, which would be the the 9th of September um, just considering he hasn't played a full match I mean I'm sure he's been training down in, in Boca so I'm sure he's I'm sure he's not you know he's not a hundred he's not like he's trying to get up to match fit again like Robin Luden when he came in last year where he hadn't like played, played a game at all. And it was on vacation when he signed with Minnesota. Um, he also has been training. So he is, he, so he, I could easily, so I mean, theoretically you could, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he got, you know, a 10 to 15 minute run out against Houston, but more, more likely, I think we see him as a, maybe a halftime sub or like a 50 minute, 50th minute sub when Minnesota hosts RSL on the 6th of September and probably a, a start, um, Minnesota hosts Dallas the following Wednesday. So do you guys have any other thoughts on that or think differently? You I think, covered my thoughts well. Well, I think one factor will be how Minnesota United does in this next couple of games. Um, just by virtue of the fact that if, if this is a team that, you know, if they go out and they beat Dallas and they beat Houston, which would be two solid results, you know, they're top 
one, two, three in the West, immediately throwing Reynoso in for a team that's been pretty successful without him. It, it probably sets you up better long-term, but it does jeopardize the current season because it will take him a full game or two to really get a feel for his teammates. And this is not a team that currently has a bunch of chances that they can waste in any given game. So I think that is, uh, that is one factor. You know, if we go out and draw with Dallas and lose to Houston, then yeah, I think you put him in as soon as you can. But uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how quickly United wants to get him on the field. It'll also be really interesting to see whether he plays first or Debassi plays first. Huh. But uh, David, to your, to your assertion that he's more or less game fit, he has not played in a game since March 14th. I'm not, say, I'm not saying he's game fit. I'm, not, I'm also, but he has been training. That's true. That's true. So he, that's, that's, I didn't, I, if I said game fit, I, I misspoke. I did not mean that he was game I, He He's unlike Lude, Lude who had like literally hadn't played in a game or trained for a, a month or so before he came over to Minnesota. He started right away. Right. Or he came in, I think his very first game and played, uh, played a half, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he hasn't played a game, but, but I'm sure, I'm sure those Boca teams are, are, you know, doing full, te- they're doing full team training. I'm sure they're playing, if not, you know, seven asides or whatever. He, so he's been, he's been playing soccer consistently, you know, for at least the last, you know, month or so. Um, unlike, unlike Robin Lude when he came to Minnesota last year or so. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally fair. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think it will take him uh, at least a game or two to get up to speed, even if he has been practicing. Yeah. All right. And then uh, Toby's uh, another question here on Bay Below. Uh, Toby Sisler asks, seeing as we're on at least our fifth number 10 since joining the league, how many more will we see before we sign someone who actually plays left wing or even left mid or expound on why we have taken this sure to be revolutionary approach to team building. So um, yeah, it's a revolution revolutionary approach to team building when you can't figure out who the fuck is in charge of building your team. And you've had three different people in charge of building your team basically since, uh, since you started. So, you know, we've been taking this, uh, this revolutionary approach out of sheer, um, I don't know, stupidity, uh, or, uh, yeah, I guess that's my, my answer to that one. You guys have any thoughts on, on this? Dan, look what you did. I have thoughts on everything. You know me. Um, I, I, I want to believe that Babello is the player. Um, you know, he's, he was highly regarded coming out of Tolaris. Um, even if he hasn't quite fulfilled his promise at Boca, he's still just 24. Um, he's a guy that United should be able to, uh, should be able to build around. Uh, MLS is still in a position where they can't just look at a player, most MLS teams, I should say, and, and sign them. I mean, some of that is monetary. Some of it is league prestige. So the answer to, to how long is it going to take is look, everybody in the hemisphere needs a great 10 and there are teams that have far more prestige than United does. So it's, it's a little bit of finding the right dance partner. I, and I think that's why Reynoso is such a good gamble. Like, I understand he's a very high-priced player by Minnesota United standards, but the number of players of his caliber that are available, that are available to Minnesota United, particularly in this mid-season window, are going to be very few and far between. So I think we have every reason to hope that this is the solution. And if it doesn't work out, uh, I don't know, we'll start Frankensteining somebody in a garage, and, and then, then we will finally have the player of our dreams. You know, I'll show a second that very, very quickly. You know, it's it, we're spending five million dollars on the kid, right? It's not, it's not like we're we're trading, you know, uh, funny money for him. We're not. It, 
a $5 million outlay in MLS is not, it's not an insignificant amount of money. And that's a, that's, that's a good thing. Whether he, you know, ideally he works out and he's great and we can turn around and we can sell him to Europe in a couple of years. Right. Um, That would be the ideal situation. You know, I worst case scenario, he's a complete bomb and you know, it's not our money. It's not, not my money. It's Dr. Bill's money. And, and, the 72 other owners of, of Minnesota's major league uh, soccer franchise. Um, so and I'm glad they're spending it. They have, to, I mean, that's, that just shows that they are trying to put together a competitive lineup to, to not just, you know, be, you know, if he's, if Reynoso is what he's been hyped as the guy could be a game changer and could, you know, is a potentially a piece that gets you to, and maybe not the only piece, but a piece that could get us to an MLS cup final. Right. So good for them. MJ. Neither of you guys really answered the question, how many more tens do we have to go through before we actually have a, a left wing? And the, the answer to that is, who the fuck knows? Because <laughs> we have Adrian Heath, who, you know, plays, you know, Raheem Edwards, a natural left wing, you know, in the preseason on the right. For whatever reason, you know, yeah. we have Adrian Heath, who has someone like Vadim Demidov, who's a defensive midfielder and tries to shoehorn him in at center back and give him the captainship of your fucking team. Calvo, someone who should be playing left back says, I want to play center back and you let him play center back. Playing people at their natural positions is not this team's strength. And so when you ask how many tens are we going to have to go through before we have a natural left wing, who the fuck knows? (laughs) All right, let's wrap up very quickly with uh, Ford Madison. Um, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit of Europe, um, some U.S. men's national team news, uh, and the women's soccer. We have uh, we have some Woso to talk about. Uh, very quickly, Madison um, beat the shit out of the Orlando uh, City B team three to one on Sunday, and then MJ has another here. The hilariously bad stream. It was it was so bad that they were cutting away from the game to like show the same loop of people coming into the stadium or the same loop of, of two women buying beer from a vendor. It was, it was particularly bad. I just, I, yeah. And like they copped to it. It was apparently yeah. an issue with their, uh, their internet provider, but it was so weird. It was so like dystopian, like the, all of a sudden you'd be watching a game and then it would shoot back and you could see a man and a woman walking in carrying stadium chairs. Yeah. And totally Mitch in the matrix. Yeah, totally missed the first uh, um, Madison goal because the stream wasn't working. They had to show the they had to show the same people coming into the stadium for like the 15th time. So, um, but yeah, uh, Michael Vang um, has really set the uh, set that league on fire um, in his first two starts. So good for him. And that's a great corners, right? Yeah, great, great on set pieces. Uh, in in you know Madison is they started off the season not great. Um, but they are on a roll now. Um, MJ here putting here two wins and a draw in their last three games, moving on up the uh, the USL League One table. So good on good on Ford Madison. All right, so let's take a break, uh, refresh our beers, and when we come back, we will talk uh, some uh, Woso Europe US best men's national team, and we'll talk about the FC Dallas match coming up. We'll be right back. You want me to be that type of dude, and I. Won't you be who you like me to? But we both know I can't do nothing at all. Oh, yeah. All right, and we're back. Uh, we're going to start off this uh, part two of the podcast talking 
Woso, women's soccer. We don't normally talk it uh, a lot about it, but I think we're going to have to, um, especially this year with uh, a lot of U.S. women's national team players going to England. But uh, I think we should start off with the Women's Champions League, which, if you did not realize, um, I found out last week, I believe it was Grant Wall tweeted it out. It's actually on the CBS All Access uh, platform. So I watched a couple of matches last week. The quarterfinals, semifinals take place um, today, uh, Tuesday the 25th, if you're reading this, and tomorrow the 26th. Uh, and then the finals on Sunday. So if you have CBS All Access, if you purchased it or got the free trial for the Champions League um, or Europa League, you have access to women's champions, women's Champions League soccer as well. So definitely check it out. So I'm going to throw it to MJ and Dan. Um, you guys, wherever you want to start, Women's Champions League or U.S. Women's National Team players to England teams. Let's start with the uh, Champions League so that I can get my heartbreak out of the way. Uh, <laughs> the Arsenal women, who are a phenomenal women's soccer team and super fun to watch if you're, if you're just getting into European club women's soccer, uh, went out, played against PSG, and it was their first competitive match since uh, the season was called off in March. And boy, did they look it. Uh, they just heavy legs, and, and, and you could tell that there was just some rust. And it was heartbreaking because they played really, really well against PSG. Well. Really well for like 70 minutes. And unfortunately, <laughs> the game is still 90 minutes long. They gave up a second goal. And, uh, and PSG were deserved winners. Take nothing away from them. They're a class club. Um, in, a, in a way that they – I'm not going to say that they aren't on the men's side, but where the men have this weird like – Oh, it's oil money. Don't we don't respect them anymore? The women's team has definitely earned their respect, but uh, it still sucks to lose. But uh, so the Arsenal women will miss the the Champions League, unfortunately, um, because the the field is so much smaller in women's than men. So something to shoot for in the league this year. Yeah, and I'll, I'll mention too quickly the semifinals are Wolfsburg, um, which is a pretty. Um, uh, well, well, history women's national women's uh, women's team. They're playing Barcelona um, tomorrow, and then PSG plays Olympique Lyon, which is probably the gold standard when it comes to women's soccer teams in Europe right now. Um, MJ, what do you have on the Champions League? So the early results, uh, Wolfsburg just destroy Glasgow City. Um, we saw this coming. I wouldn't have picked this point spread, but Wolfsburg just clobber them nine nine to one. Oh wow! I so I, I watched um, that. I watched that game. I watched the first half, and they were up four to nothing. I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna switch over to this Barcelona Atletico Madrid game, which was zero zero. And I was like, like "They can't. Sc- they, they shouldn't score too many goals, right?" But yeah, no, they put they put five more on them. That's not great. Um, Vicky Lusada, the the number six for Barcelona, is just incredible. She's the the best number six in women's football, other than uh, uh, Julie Ertz. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I couldn't decide if you were going uh, Julie Ertz or Lindsay Horan, who also could be the best six if she played there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, Ju- other than Julie Ertz, like, Miguel is great. Uh, Jennifer uh, Hermosa is, is phenomenal a, a, as a attacking midfielder. Um, Barcelona is really fun to watch. You can see their tiki-taka system kind of blueprinted on their women's club in some way. And you know, despite there not being a lot of goals, it was a very intriguing match just from the tactics, what uh, Barcelona was trying to do and Atletico Madrid, knowing what they want, what Barcelona wanted to do and doing a really good job defensively for most of the game until uh, they got their goal. So that was really fun for me to watch. Uh, the the Lyon-Bayern uh, Munich game was also really fun to watch for similar reasons, lower scoring, but very much you could see 
Bayern Munich with with a a five three two formation, knowing that that Olympic Lyonnais is just going to attack the shit out of them, and they held off for a really long time, but but the the back four of Olympic Lyonnais are the are the best. You know, Wendy Renard. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Lucy Bronze. Lucy Bronze, yeah. Jeez. They're just stacked in the back four. And then you look at the rest of their team, and ahead of them, they're all stacked as well. So Yeah, Sarah Buhati in, in goal, who's the French number one. Um, yeah, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a lineup. I I, I, just, I did see the um I did see the the first goal uh highlight from the first goal for the, the PSG Arsenal game. Uh Maria Antoinette Cototo, that um amazing, I don't know flick or whatever she had was just a was a fantastic goal as well so um so who do you guys like in the uh in the champions league who do you think is going to win it we have a, we have an all an all french uh semi-final with uh paris and leon and then uh wolfsburg and barcelona and the other semi-final it, it's going to be wolfsburg and, and olympic Lyonnais. i don't know how many times that matchup has come up in the finals before <laughs> but um I, I i hate to sound boring but i think olympic Lyonnais wins their whatever teeth uh women's champions league yeah I, women's soccer both at a club and national level is getting far more competitive we're seeing um you know the women's world cup is a perfect example the u.s did not run that tournament they had hard games against the netherlands and england on the club side we're seeing the exact same thing happen that said much like the uh the u.s women's national team did in fact win the world cup Olympic Lyon is still going to win the Champions League because the gap is shrinking. It is not gone yet. <laughs> yep, I tend to agree. Um, that final is going to be Sunday um, at 1 p.m. So if you, uh, I think uh, Wes is going to open the black heart for it. So um, keep an eye on the on the black heart's Twitter feed. Um, you know, I would try and be there possibly. I think that should be a hell of a game. So or watch it on CBS All Access. You still probably forgot to that you have that. You you paid your five bucks for this month. So. Um, just keep it on. Um, all right. So let's talk very quickly to what we had. A, we had a bunch of players move uh, women's national team, U.S. women's national team players move from uh, women's, the WSL to uh, the uh, uh, English. I'm blanking the women. What is it? The women's super league. I can't. I'm just yeah. Super league. I always want to call it the premier league, but it's They're also league. the WSL. So from, from one, one NWSL to another WSL. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, Dan, why don't you uh, kick us off? Who who are the big big names that uh, that are going to England? So, uh, one of the big news news stories out of all of global soccer last week was the move of Rose Lavelle from uh, the Washington Spirit to uh, OL Reign, where she stayed for approximately three minutes before uh, she she took a position with Manchester City. So, should she come back to uh, NWSL at any time, uh, she will do so as a Reign player, but. Uh, I gotta be honest with you guys. I don't really see that happening anytime soon. So joining her at Manchester City uh, is Sam Mewis, who turned around and scored a goal and had two assists in their first preseason game. Uh, and then these deals are not done yet, but Tobin Heath and Kristen Press are being courted by Manchester United. And I think this is, one, I think this is great, but two, I think this is an absolute shot across the bow of the NWSL. Uh, for a long time, they have been a dominant women's soccer league because they had access to American women college soccer players. They had the dominant national team in the world. And the game is just – the level of, the, uh, of, of competition has gone through the roof in about the last five years, and that's not stopping. 
Um, we are seeing a huge demand for women's sports. We're seeing great audiences for them. Uh, both, uh, both games on big CBS for the, the NWSL tournament did solid numbers. Uh, and I think the big clubs are actually starting to finally pay attention to women's soccer. You know, for, for forever and a day, the dominant players were Lyon, PSG kind of coming on recently, but before the big tide, Arsenal, uh, Wolfsburg, Germany did it pretty well. But those were, those were kind of your major players. And now we're starting to see both Manchester teams showing up. Um, Tottenham has said that they are going to start investing in their team. Uh, which I gotta, I gotta say, I'm a little bit disappointed in by virtue of when Arsenal beats Tottenham by double digits, it doesn't matter the context. It could be U nines. It could be foosball league. That's always a good day for me. So the fact that Tottenham is going to be a real, real team before too long is disappointing to me. Um, yeah. So- I think the Liverpool, the Liverpool women's team just was relegated uh, last year, which was disappointing considering all the investments that they put in. Although it sounds like they're, um, the people at at uh, at Anfield have have are saying the right stuff and, and going to be doing some investment into their women's team. Figure if they put in, in any money, they would you know they could be a uh, they they were a dominant team not too long ago and it's kind of went off the rails. So I know that. But yeah, so I think we'll start to see this trend. I mean, we for a long long time we have sort of assumed that U.S. women's national team players will filter into the NWSL. I don't think that's going to be true anymore. And so the NWSL as a league is going to need to step up and, and make some investments, do more in terms of travel, some of the same things we've seen with MLS, or they're going to get beaten out by France, Germany, England, Spain, all of the, the traditional men's soccer powerhouses. For sure. MJ? Uh, Sports Illustrated had a great article on the, the market for women's soccer players. And in there, they talk about the collective bargaining agreement being up this year and that that was part of the the I didn't realize that the U.S. Soccer Federation pays for the salaries that not just the U.S. women's national team salaries but the NWSL salaries for the top uh, U.S. women national team players to play in NWSL and that partnership is looking not like it's going away completely, but it might change in the next collective bargaining bargaining agreement. Um, the other thing is that Jill Ellis was very, very much uh, in favor of keeping players close to home and playing in the NWSL. And uh, Lotko is the the new women's coach is very open to women's national team players uh, playing elsewhere. Yeah, so that that's been a, a part of the the collective bargaining agreement. And, it, and to be fair, it's only it only covers that that agreement only covers like twenty eight or thirty players. It's it's a smaller number. It's basically whatever the the pool is considered for the U.S. Women's National Team. And I write, you're right. I think that's going to be going away. The other thing to, that I've heard from a couple other podcasts that I've listened to is, you know, the Olympics got moved next year. The Olympic roster is only it's unlike the the men's uh, Olympic roster where they have you know strict limitations on who can be there. Um, it can be any, it's any women, um, you know, that are eligible to play for your country, but it's only 18 roster spots, right? As opposed to the 23 roster spots you have for a world cup. So it's very important that these women are playing at their best and are at their peak when Olympic qualifying and everything starts to happen next year. So this, you know, all these moves now make a ton of sense regards to that, but also with, you know, 
maybe with the expectation that the the, the, bar, the collective bargaining agreement is going to be a lot different um, next time around too, where they're not going to be as forced to play. Uh, they'll, they'll have better options. They'll have more options. And we're seeing more teams like the Man Cities and like your Manchester Uniteds who for the first time, you know, have a, a team in the first division of, of women's soccer in, in England, they're actually spending money on the women's teams. And that's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. For those of you who haven't been keeping track of women's soccer outside of the United States, the, the profit sharing and sort of investment by men's clubs into their women's uh, clubs is incredible in Europe. And when you think of that, MLS and soccer in the United States isn't what the NFL is, isn't the dominant sport, doesn't rake in a lot of money. Um, you know, men's clubs in the in the United States don't have that extra cash to just start a women's team as easily as as you would in Europe. And so the the deals that you're seeing and and the money being spent and the technical and training staff that, that are crossing over from men's to helping out the women is, is pretty impressive. For, for some teams, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I think England is still, England and, and Germany, I think are the only two um, European women's leagues that are, that are fully professional. I think most of the other leagues are still not fully professional. Um, you know, we, we saw Liverpool spent hardly any money on their women's team last year and, and, they they had a shitty training ground. They weren't they weren't practicing on the same on the same pitches as the academy teams or you know the the same shit. The the U nine and U U eleven teams had better training grounds than the women. So it's not it's not across the board. It, it's definitely there are certain clubs and there are certain teams that spend the money on the women. Man City is a great example, right? When Carly Lloyd went to Man City a few years ago, she had she had access to all of the same training and the yeah. same equipment that the, the men's team had. That's not the same case. That's not the same case in, in Liverpool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what it's like at Arsenal, but I'm guessing it's a lot better. I'm guessing it's much more like the Man City model, where they're they're giving the women the same access to you know this similar stuff, right? The same kind of stay of the art locker rooms, um, stay of the art gyms, and things like that. Again, it's not the same across the board. So, you know, when you say that, you got to have that caveat too, right? There's not there are some teams that will spend their money on the women's team, and there are some that just won't. So, thinking back on what you said, David, about about preparing for the Olympics things that I got out of the Roosevelt and uh, Samantha Mewis articles is they want to play. They want to play. And the, the extra 12th player on the pitch is COVID and we don't have that under control here. So their playing chances here in the U S are, are limited. And in Europe, they do have it under control. Yeah. And, and all of this is a great point uh, between COVID and the collective bargaining agreement those two things presumably will resolve themselves within the next 12 months. So it'll be fascinating to see if these players come back or if they prefer to stay in Europe and play. And I think that'll be another thing to watch. Like, is this a, you know, any port in a storm or is this a, Hey, this is a better league for us now. Uh, David, to your point. Yeah. The Arsenal women's team uh, is treated extremely well. They practice in the same facilities. They have access to all the same stuff. Um, one thing that I've seen them do better than other clubs is they're integrated into the marketing. So when uh, Arsenal does hype videos, they will be, it'll be uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang passing a back, ball back and forth with Vimitima. And that's really cool just to show this idea of being truly one club, two teams. That's something I think um, NWSL and uh, MLS teams can do better and the U S 
the U.S. national team can do better in general. Um, yeah. But it's, there's an aspirational model that's already out there. So yep. I think we can all agree that the rise of women's soccer is great and we are for it. And Tottenham should continue to not take it seriously so we can all <laughs> kick the crap out of them. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. The other uh, big European news. Um, yesterday, Champions League final, PSG 0, Bayern 1. Not the, I mean, for for not as many goals. I mean, I thought this was going to be, I thought this would have been the, the first final in a long time that multiple teams. The last time that there was two teams that each scored multiple goals in the final. Do you guys remember one that you guys know what that was? 2005, when Liverpool beat uh, AC Milan on penalties after a 3-3 draw. That's the last time that both teams have scored at least two goals in a final. Wow. That's, that's a long, that's 15 years. That's a long fucking time. So with the, the two teams that were playing, I had hopes that there was going to be lots of goals. The game, in spite of it being, you know, it's, in spite of its one, one to nothingness was actually quite entertaining. Um, PSG certainly had a lot of chances uh, that they just, you know, Neymar'd for, for lack of a better word. Um, <laughs> Bayern was all over the place. Uh, they, you know, looked really kind of, they looked pretty crappy for the first 20, 25 minutes or so, but they really just, they found their feet. And, and Kingsley Coleman, who was basically the only, uh, the only change for, I think, either team from the semifinals, uh, starts for Ivan Perisic, um, starting against his, his club team, or his, uh, his, his youth club team when he come, coming up, uh, plays out of his goddamn fucking mind and scores the winner, and I believe the 55th minute. You know, the, the big story from, on this side of the pond was Alfonso Davies in the semifinals and how great he was and what he did um, to uh, uh, Barcelona and, and just murdering people. He wasn't great, but I think that was kind of the game plan. I think with Bayern's high line, they were worried about, you know, players, particularly Neymar and Mbappe, um, you know, balls over the top. And when you have someone like Alfonso Davies, who's fast as shit, if he's not playing, if he's not as high attacking, he's actually able to, to recover. And I think that was, it seemed to be that he was not playing great but I think those by design. So, do you guys have any other thoughts on um, the final uh, Bayern or PSG related? I think it's worth pointing out that uh, Angel Di Maria, although he was certainly benighted uh, due to his stint at Manchester City or sorry, Manchester United, um, is a much much player better player than people give him credit for, and he was probably the best attacker that Davies went up against in this tournament, uh, and it really showed. And, and I think part of the reason that Davies did look bad is that Di Maria made him look bad and so it, there's no shade there's certainly uh world-class defenders that have ended up behind uh Di Maria on an attack so there's no shame in that but uh I do think it's worth pointing out you know uh you played at kind of the level of your quality of your opposition and and this this time uh the attacker got the better of Davies uh I also do want to quick note something I threw in our chat which is uh we talked about this on on last week's podcast that Vancouver has just a ton of money uh sort of starting to pile up uh after selling Huang and Baum uh and then they just got I believe another half million dollars I believe so. uh, almost there's 600,000 590,000 dollars because uh because Davies won the Champions League so there's another pile of money for Vancouver that they will squander on magic beans <laughs> MJ? Uh, just want to point out that Kingsley Coleman is, is not a good dude. Um, he's the one who scored the goal for, for Bayern Munich, and he was, he's been uh, arrested for domestic violence on more than one occasion. Um, and uh, so it, it, as much as I wanted Bayern to win, uh, as 
Eric Silverman pointed out to me, just not by that guy. Please, <laughs> please not let that that guy be the guy who's the one who did it. Yeah, no, that's 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 a fair point. Um, I, I think I just have the general. Uh, I just assume that most people are pieces of shit in professional sports, and so when they're not pieces of shit, it, it you know, it's good. But you're right, Keegan's and Coleman had some uh, some particularly um, heinous domestic uh, domestic assault um, arrests and things like that on his as part of his history. So, um, yeah, won't, won't suck his dick too hard. Uh, just a little bit. Uh, all right. And then the uh, other sort of uh, non Minnesota United news, U.S. men's national team. Um, so the FIFA draw for CONCACAF World Cup qualifying um, was released last week, uh, including the, you know, a general uh, outline of what minutes or what United, the U.S. men's national team draw will look like. So, you know, any any thoughts on the schedule release? Anything that you're excited about? Um, I know there's been talk. Minnesota will, or sorry, U.S. will play uh, Mexico in October of 2021. And uh, there's talk of, you know, that game potentially being up here in Minnesota. Being, it being October will be a little colder. Um, you know, the other sort of major sticking point of that is, you know, Columbus and, and all the diehards really want to be back in Columbus again, even though, you know, we got the shit kicked out of us in Columbus last year or last time around. So do you guys have any other thoughts? Uh, it sounds like it's very, like a very good possibility that Minnesota is going to get a game and I could easily see it either being that, um, that Mexico game in October or the Costa Rica game uh, in September of next year um, would, would make a lot of sense too. So do you guys have any immediate thoughts on the, on this qualifying schedule? Well, the format, is intriguing to me just with the expanding of CONCACAF going from six teams to eight in the, in the, in the last round. It yeah. Used to, the octagonal. Two, two rounds of qualifying and you got down to the, the final six, the hexagonal. And with playing five other teams home and away, that does not give a lot of margin. It was so brutal. And that's why you saw, you know, the U S men's national team, you know, miss a few uh, world cups because it's, it, if you fall asleep at uh, on a crappy pitch in Trinidad and Tobago, the, bad things will happen. So it's it, it was very brutal. I think with going going to El Ocho, that you have eight teams now. Uh, it makes things easier for teams like Mexico and the United States, uh, Costa Rica, what have you. That they have a little bit more margin of error. They can kind of shit a game and it doesn't mean as much. I think that's a good point, but I think it is going to be mitigated somewhat by the fact that CONCACAF is getting a lot better. Um, you yeah. know, you jump back 10 years and you say eight teams, eight teams are going to qualify for this round. And that's a pretty, I mean, you've got your top teams, but it gets bad pretty quickly. I mean, at that point you're looking at, um, God, who would it even be like Nicaragua? Like, yeah. Honduras. So, Honduras, who's a little hit and miss, but those, that's, yeah. that's a game that U.S.-Mexico should win. But uh, one of the interesting things is the seeded teams in this tournament so far, or, or that will be seeded, are the U.S., Mexico, and who's the third seeded team? Jamaica. Costa Rica. Costa Rica, that's the one I was missing. Jamaica, Jamaica and Honduras are all, are all, they're all through to this round. So there's a, there's a pre-qualifying round, basically, uh, six groups, um, they're playing. Uh, they're not playing. They're not playing uh, home and away. They're, they're playing one match each, I believe. And then so, and then though the, there's the groups will face off against one another for three additional spots. So there's five teams that are already qualified for the final round of qualifying. Um, <clears throat> the 
you know, presumably there's an opportunity for like sort of Canada or, or Curacao uh, or um, <clears throat> Nicaragua being one of those sort of group winners, uh, Trinidad and Tobago or um, El Salvador is probably going to be the other, one of the other group winners. I can't remember who the other, the, the other. Potential it's going to, it's going to be Canada. I mean, that's the whole point here is I think Canada is probably the third best CONCACAF team right now and they didn't even get seated yeah. so this is going to be a this is going to be an interesting challenge this time around but i wouldn't i wouldn't sleep on curacao man curacao played a really great gold cup last last time around and uh they're in the same they're in the they're in the group with canada canada actually got a pretty tough a tough qualifying group now assuming the other the other i think big thing too to note in this it's pretty good qualifying is that there's two in june of 2021 so right after the European um, seasons are done in May of next year. There's actually two uh, qualifying. Um, there's two FIFA international dates. So they're going to be playing four matches. The U.S. will be playing four matches in June. Presumably it's going to be away to Trinidad. I mean, assuming everything, assuming everybody like, sort of holds serve, it'd be away to Trinidad and Tobago, home versus Canada, away to Honduras and home versus Jamaica. That's That's rough. That's rough, yeah. but it's also they're not playing Mexico, they're not playing Costa Rica, um, they're playing Jamaica at home. You know, Honduras away is a tough match. Always, it's always a very tough match. But theoretically, that's twelve points that that U.S. could have in the bag, and I think getting less than ten points from those uh, four games, I would I would consider that a huge disappointment, especially considering that September they're going to have to um, you know play Costa Rica and then October uh, Mexico at home. So, the, I mean, the nice thing is, is that, you know, they get their first six games, or first, sorry, seven games um, are not terrible. I mean, they're, they're either at home against Costa Rica and Mexico and Jamaica. So probably the, the, you know, three, you know, right now three best seeded teams. They're home against Canada, more than likely, assuming Canada, which is, you know, I, I, Dan, I'll take your point. Canada is, Canada is, is definitely should, you know, Unfortunately, they're not in, in it because of FIFA rankings, but are probably a top, you know, top four, top five team uh, with, uh, you know, Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies. I mean, come on. They just, they just beat the U.S., MJ, not, not too long ago. So. No, 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 no. I was, that was at the FIFA rankings. I, I, Canada's <laughs> legit. Canada's legit. <laughs> MJ, for those of you not watching the video, which is to say all of you, MJ was making an extremely rude gesture, and both yeah, David and I uh, thought he just straight up hated Canada. Yeah, you know, a, Canada. a wanker. Um, so anyways, I don't know. It's – I think it's. I think actually this draw is considering the diff- different types of draws. I think this is actually not bad for minute, for the U.S. I think it suits us really well. So, um, I I want to jump back a step in how we get to the to El Ocho. Uh, as Dan pointed out, Me- Mexico seeded one, U.S. two, Costa Rica three, Jamaica's four, and Honduras is five. So the the, the remaining three spots are up for grabs by by FIFA rankings. Uh, insert wanker gesture here. We we have El Salvador six, Canada seven, Curacao eight, Panama nine, Haiti ten, Trinidad and Tobago eleven as a sleeper, and then I'll just now we're getting kind of over one hundred in the FIFA rankings, but Antigua and Barbuda twelve, Guatemala thirteen, and I'll stop it there. But of those teams, like only three get in. Uh. Who, who are your three? I tend, to, I tend to agree with David that uh, Curacao is solid. Did you guys see who they pulled in as coach? No. Lucky Gus. Gus Hitting. Just joined really? the uh, – yep, just joined the Curacao Gus national man. team. 
Um, yeah, former I mean, Korean so, national coach, former Russian national coach, <laughs> former Chelsea coach. He formerly coached just about everyone. <laughs> uh, you know, TNT's been they've been a perennial player within the hex, but I I see them on the outside looking in. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the third spot is up for grabs. I think Curacao and Canada are the two ones that are locked in. It'll be that third that could be a, a real dogfight. El Salvador, Panama, Trinidad are kind of the three that jump out at me. And if only one of those gets in to that last round, that's that's so let's, really tight. I'll just, let me just throw it out here, um, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here. So Curacao is, is in Guatemala are in Group C. Um, Panama is probably going to win Group D. So the winner of Group C plays the winner of Group D in order to get in. Um, group B is Canada, and they don't really have anybody too much to worry about. They, they would play the winner of uh, Haiti. Haiti and Nicaragua are probably the two, you know, probably Haiti, so it's probably Canada. And then Group A, um, El Salvador, and then um, would play the winner of Group F, which is Trinidad and Tobago. So those are, you know, those those 16 or those, sorry, those 12 teams are, you know, um, or six teams are you know, who is more likely. And yeah, I mean, we'll see. It, it really kind of depends. It's going to be, it's, it's, you know, CONCACAF is grueling. There's so many teams in CONCACAF and, you know, to Dan's point, it, everybody's getting better. And that is, that's a good thing. I think, you know, that will bode well for us for trying to qualify for the world cup. I think, you know, we, we're not gonna be able to play a ton of non CONCACAF matches between the nation's league Gold Cup and World Cup qualifying, we need to get the, the, the you know, the um, Confederation needs to get better as a whole if we want to try and produce a winner um, or, you know, a, a better team, um, whether it's U.S., Mexico, or Costa Rica in the, in the World Cup tournament, in the World Cup final, so. All right, moving along, finally, um, our last part of the podcast, let's talk about FC Dallas, our match coming up against them. We, oh, um, we get another match? Get one more match, yeah. Um, oh wow! In FC in in Dallas. Oh, so um, we we could go down and and be in their stadium because they have fans, right? Yes, yes, they have fans. Um, it'll be about the but, same number of fans that they normally have. That is the joke that everybody. <laughs> uh, I will not take. I will not hear any uh, aspersions about the Dallas Beer Guardians. They are a fun a fun fan group. So there's no line yet. FC Dallas actually plays uh, Colorado on Wednesday of this week, I believe. Um, one thing I will note is that FC Dallas is not great. They haven't, they've had played three games since, you know, since they got back from the COVID cup. Um, they've scored zero goals uh, in those three games and they had some opportunities against Houston over the weekend, but they haven't really looked all that great. So what do you guys got on, uh, who do you want to talk about on FC Dallas? Uh, can I talk about their central defenders? Sure. So when they play a, a 3-4-2-1, which kind of looks like a Christmas tree if you have the goalkeeper, uh, the, they play three center backs on the back line. They play Matt Hedges at the center, uh, a really uh, – what is it? Shit. The – Bresson or Ziegler? Ziegler is, is on the left, and then yeah, Bresson. The Brazil, Brazilian is on the right. Who, what, what's his name? Bresson. Yeah. So the weird thing about it is, is w when they play a, a four-two-three-one, Bresson doesn't get the nod, but in my opinion, he's way better than Ziegler on both the defensive and the and the kind of breaking out and going forward with the ball. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Are they good? 
yes, but not that good. Um, everything that's happened so far will lead you to believe they are not good, MJ. That is kind of the point here. Um, yeah. I mean, so a lot of the goals that have been scored on them or good chances have become outside the six-yard box. So to me, that points to defensive problems being further up the pitch than, than the, back, the back three. But Sure. Dan, who do you want to talk about? Uh, I'm going to talk about Luchi Gonzalez. Uh because I think he's probably the most relevant person involved in SC Dallas right now. Uh, something we touched on going into the Orlando tournament and we saw it in Europe is teams that uh, had consistent coaching, had fairly consistent personnel were doing the best. And obviously Orlando was the massive wrinkle to this uh, Oscar Pereja, obviously being a great coach who had previously been Dallas's coach and, and uh, Luchi Gonzalez took over for him last year. And so I think some of the trouble they're having is simply adjusting to minutes um i'm sorry not adjusting to minutes uh, i gotta talk and read uh, at the same time but adjusting to a new formation just new new tactics not necessarily new teammates so much as uh just trying to figure out kind of their way around lucha gonzalez's version of the pitch so i suspect that we will start to see dallas sooner rather than later look more cohesive uh from the games i watched uh against Nashville, that was their biggest issue. I mean, the, the individual talent is there. Zydrunik and Gossick is, is a solid striker up top. Paxton Pomichol looks every bit the U.S. national team player he is. Uh, I am not the biggest Jesus Ferreira fan, but he has <laughs> adherence, I guess. Uh, but the, what they don't have is any cohesion. So I, that, to me, comes down to coaching. Uh, one name I will flag is uh, Philippe uh, Megaloro uh, is the on-loan keeper from Grameo. Uh, we talked about this you know, before the cup, but uh, Jesse Gonzalez was their starting keeper. Uh, unfortunately, speaking of domestic incidents, had a domestic assault over the break and was removed from FC Dallas correctly. Uh, former Cosmo Jimmy Maurer had been doing, had been starting in, in his place. They've now brought in uh, a keeper on loan from Grameo who should push him for a minute. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if they have a keeper controversy. Did he just, did he just get in? Cause Mauer's played the last, all three, of the last games. Yeah. I, uh, within the last week or so. Okay. I don't even think he has a, a, a Jersey number. Assigned. <laughs> He'll probably get number one, but yeah. So Jimmy Maurer, um, you know, of uh, Cosmos, Minnesota United fans will remember that guy from um, stonewalling Minnesota United way too many fucking times when he played the Cosmos. Uh, back in the old NASL days, um, he was he was someone I was going to highlight. You know, um, Gonzalez is, is a, uh, a, a was a, a really great keeper, and yeah, he had uh, he had some domestic assault issues, and is no longer in MLS. And good riddance. Um, yeah, you guys pretty much hit on everybody that I want to talk to talk about. One thing we one person we did not talk about, at, and Reggie Cannon uh, is a great example of um, someone who has come up through the. Um, the Dallas system very much, you know, I would assume that before the end of the year, he will be in Europe somewhere, uh, whether that is in Germany um, or maybe the uh, English championship. Um, I don't think he's much long for FC Dallas for, for a myriad of reasons. Um, number one, just, he's just really fucking good. Number two, um, he's, you know, obviously clearly butted heads with the, some of the shitty fans that they have there. And I don't think he's, he's, I don't know if you guys, so there's a, this is, I think this was back when they were still in the in down in Orlando, 
And there was a, I think it was, I'm trying to remember who it was, but it was, it was Reggie Cannon. I think it was like Fafa Pico and a couple uh, players talking about um, Matt, maybe, maybe Hedges, I don't know, or maybe it was like Brian Acosta. I can't remember. Anyways, they were talking about music and there was like this viral video. Do you guys remember this? No. Reggie Cannon was basically, yeah, someone was trying to say how like, um, what the fuck is his name? The, the Chris Brown was as good as Michael Jackson and Reggie Cannon just losing his shit on his teammate. <laughs> <laughs> was no like not even in the the level of Michael Jackson. It's a really great video. I should see if I can try and find it. If I can find it, I'll link to uh, I'll link to <laughs> yeah uh, in our notes here. So it's uh it's great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean you know Jesus Ferrer and Franco Yara. Um, again, you know as you know, Dan mentioned, they haven't. It's been there just hasn't really been a ton of cohesion. And and the other thing, and again going back to sort of again what Dan said. So they play a three four two one. They also play a four two three one, um, and just it's it, it seems weird that you know you're playing you know slightly different formations. A lot of the same players, but there are some certain particular um, changes when they depending on their formation. So we interested to see what they do and what they uh, decided with Minnesota. I mean, clearly, you know, if they read the if they've seen the the tape you think they would know how to play Minnesota. So how, how should we play Minnesota or how should Minnesota United play FC Dallas? Um, MJ, you want to start? They are really good, especially if they, they're playing the, the three, five, whatever the four, two, or whatever the, if, if they're playing kind of that compact, uh, very horizontal formation, I think we need to have Dotson and Gregoosh both start and have them send balls in either shots or, or curling balls in from the outside. Um, they don't, one of their strengths is they don't let a lot of things into that six yard box that are very deadly. And so I think getting Amaria service or whoever we put up there is going to be difficult. Um, plus we're not that good in the middle anyway. So to get anything on on net, we're gonna have to have service from out, outside the 18. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a temptation to uh, to look at their offensive struggles and say, okay, this is a team that we should be we should be attacking. We should be doing a high press. I, it's not that Dallas has struggled with possession or with shots. They just can't get anything that's dangerous. So to me, this is this sets up perfectly for United. Sit back two big blocks and, uh, and then run out on the counter. Um, it, it'll be a hot night in Dallas. So be ready to use subs pretty aggressively. And if Dallas does slip in a goal, get Mason toy in, let him get a run in when he's fully healthy. And like, actually like, let's see what he can do. Uh, but between a player like him and Sonic Dotson, let's just let's get the attack to look a little different than it has. Play the kid. I, I would yeah. love, would just love to see a four four two with with the players that especially when Reynoso is is in the lineup what what we could look like with with two strikers with more attacking talent you know if we especially when we get Opara back if we can trust our defense um, putting more attacking talent on the on the pitch can only I think can only do good things for Minnesota United so. You know, I'm I'm interested to see what they, you know, what their lineup is, what they what they look like. Um, I can't, I I have really nothing to to disagree with you guys. I think I think that is, I think one thing actually, you know, seeing we're you know we're talking about countering and all that is, we know Minnesota wants to do that. Can Minnesota sort of impose that will upon a team? We haven't seen it yet, right? If if they if they if that's what they've been trying to do, 
when teams force Minnesota to take possession of the ball, um, we just take possession of the ball. We don't try and we don't try and, and change that up. So, you know, without having someone like Reynoso in our lineup yet to unlock the middle of the park, we need to figure out a way to sort of imp- impose our will upon FC Dallas, right? Impose the way that we want to play as opposed to trying to um, counteract to the way that the other team is trying to play. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, all right. So who, who do you guys uh, see uh, starting in net? I think it'll be Greg the Cat, um, just because Adrian Heath is, is uh, nothing if not predictable. Um, but I would love – I mean, I would absolutely love to see Dane St. Clair get a run out now that he's out of the quarantine or theoretically should be out of the quarantine – He's played really, really well. Um, he played really well last year for Madison. He's been playing really, really well for, for San Antonio this year. The reports from San Antonio, from the goalkeeping coach down in San, down there, have been glowing. That he, you know he's a, an absolutely stellar player. He should, he'll be playing overseas. The, the guy said, I think, I believe, um, he'll be play, He said he'll be playing overseas at some point. I think you give him the shot, give him an opportunity. But I've, I'm knowing Adrian Heath and knowing this team, I think it'll be Rajat Singh. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it being Ranjit Singh, but I I would vastly prefer to see DSC in this game. Um, he knows Texas, he knows the pitches. Like, it's it's a it's flimsy reasoning, but so is hey, this guy started last week when we needed someone, and he was the only one available. So yeah, yeah I would I would love to see DSC, but it's going to be Ranjit Singh. Look at look at uh, for. Uh, Mauer to, to, to spill a lot of balls and, and maybe see, you know, Finley come, come in and, and get a rebound or something like that. But one of the things I like about Dane Sinclair is, is he doesn't spill a lot of balls. Um, he, he gets up there and he, he, he catches it, grabs it, or punches it far away. Uh, I would love to see him get the start. Um, I don't think that will happen. Right on. All right. Who, uh, what's, the, what's the result? Uh, MJ, you want to start? Who's going to win? I think this is a sleeper game. Uh, I, As much as we want to counter, uh, Dallas is also very good on the counter. And we are very bad when we get countered. Uh, we tend to have our center backs too far up. We tend to have uh, not too compressed spacing forward, trying to get forward. And there's a huge gap between uh, Alonzo and Gregoosh and our, and our back line. And there's just space to exploit on the counter. Um, Dallas's problem has not really been defense or possession, but been scoring goals. I mean, uh, uh, Hara is, is, has not been able to get a shot on target, even though he's been in good spots. So uh, if they continue to get the ball in those dangerous spots, you know, Hara or Santos or one of those guys is going to put the ball in the net. Um, I take Dallas in this. I'm not, I don't know what the score Dallas two, one, maybe, but I, I, I think it's a, it's an ugly matchup. It's a bad fit for Minnesota United. Dan, you know, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's honestly unbelievable, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, one of the things that struck me, uh, after last week's game was how sort of upset Adrian Heath was. Um, and, and it really felt like this was reflective of kind of a lack of effort and some poor practice habits as it snuck in. Um, I, I trust him, question mark, uh, to make the changes necessary. So, uh, you know, we aren't getting quite the practice reports we had in, in previous years thanks to the Rona. Um, but I'm looking for a, a good week of practice. And I think United 
kind of licks their wounds and cleans up against a Dallas team that has the pieces, doesn't quite have the instructions to put them together, and still probably needs a week or two after this. So I'm going to take Minnesota United 3-2. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> I don't trust Adrian Heath. Um, I, th- I think, I think we score, I think we score a couple of goals, but I think we, I think Greg the cat uh, is found out for not being, for being a number two uh, goalkeeper. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a, I don't think we lose, but I think it's a two, two draw. So uh, one other thing I just want to point out while we were, while we were recording, New England, uh, Bruce Arena was uh, given an extra two-game fine uh, or two-game ban uh, for his outburst in the uh, MLS's back tournament, uh, including a $15,000 fine. So that's a, a fun thing that, you know, doesn't affect us at all, but Bruce Arena still got it. Still an asshole. So I'm sure, I'm sure he considers that money well spent. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Go, go home, Bruce. You're drunk. <laughs> All right. Well, that is, uh, that's it. So uh, yeah, the game on Saturday, uh, I believe it's a seven thirty kickoff our time. I'm blanking on it now, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The other one was six 30. This is, I believe seven 30 uh, on Saturday, Minnesota United plays FC Dallas. So come on, come on, you loons. Uh, all right. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast. Uh, Dave's I know.com patreon.com uh, slash the Dave's I know at TDIKMN and TDIKMN on Twitter. I'm at Texas Zeller. Dan's at D Wade, MJ's at MJ Matsui, Bill, our our lovely, lovely Bill, who's still camping up north and and rejuvenating, is at Bill underscore McGuire. Um, So yeah, please uh, please reach out to us if you have any questions. We have been the names you know. This is the names I know. Thing, Long as you do yours, land here become feet, con. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Do the act we attract to, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. Do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Check it out, guys. GT.